Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to Namaste Motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy and well-being collide. I'm your host, Callie Beaton, and this episode is called You Can't Make an Omelette. People sometimes ask me if I'm related to the famous cookbook author, Mrs. Beaton. So to set the record straight, A, I'm shit at cooking and B, no. For our younger listeners, Mrs. Beaton's book of household management was one of the most popular cookbooks in Victorian Britain. Among other things, she recommended cooking pasta for an hour and 45 minutes. And she described potatoes as suspicious. Maybe we are related after all. She actually didn't like cooking, or so the story goes, and she never went into her own kitchen if she could help it. And she died of syphilis, aged 28. So we're definitely not the same person. For decades, astronomers at the Parkes Radio Telescope in Australia were baffled by radio bursts that seemed to have no physical explanation. In 2015, it was finally worked out that the signals were due to astronomers opening the microwave when it was still cooking. In 1972, a book called Cooking for Orgies and Other Large Parties was published promising to teach the reader how to make a six-course dinner for 30 people in an hour because, and I quote, the host of an orgy will not want to spend much time preparing or serving the food during the evening. Now I tell you what it's like, it's like in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with the Lintella clones. (laughs) (laughs) That's my guest today, cook and comedian George Egg. When Radio 4's Woman's Hour began in 1946, it had a male host and early items on the show included cooking with whale meat and I married a lion tamer. And now for a few international culinary facts. In April this year, Italian police arrested a mafia fugitive after they spotted his distinctive tattoos in the cooking tutorials he'd been uploading on YouTube. A restaurant in Maine is exposing its lobsters to marijuana smoke before cooking them, saying that it's more humane. The restaurant owner reports that the lobsters are totally mellowed out. A restaurant in Bangkok has a perpetual soup on the boil that's been cooking for the past 45 years, with ingredients constantly being added and portions regularly served. And in Dutch, you can compliment someone's cooking with the saying, 
alsof er an engeltje op je tong beast, which literally translated means as if a little angel is pissing on your tongue. That's all, that's all fine now. <laughs> it's not just fine, de rigueur, my friend. George Egg started out performing kids' magic shows as a teenager and got into stand-up by a street performing a few years later. After establishing himself as a successful prop comic on the pro-comedy circuit, he happened upon the magic formula of comedy combined with cooking some two decades later. His first solo show, Anarchist Cook, was a sellout at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2015, as was DIY Chef two years later. He's currently touring with his third sellout show, Movable Feast, as well as making hit online content, including the viral Snack Hacker. Sorry, it's actually called Snack Hacker and it's gone viral. It's not about creating, but you know what I mean. George and I talked about kittens, kindness, cookery, anarchy, loaves and fishes, magic, our chaos, and my dad. But I started by asking him about his offspring frying the nest. They're all they're all gone now. So my daughter, she's 20 and she's just moved to uh, Harden in Wales just over the border with um, in Flintshire, just near Chester. Uh-huh. Uh, and she's working there uh, on an estate. It's the Gladstone estate with the Gladstone family. And what's she doing um, there? Is it like upstairs, downstairs? No, she's she's creating a kitchen garden for their farm shop and restaurant. Hold and... on a minute, have you managed to spawn a child who is absolutely as creative? Or all Because one of yours, is, is your one who is in Amsterdam, is she in fashion or something? Did I yeah, 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 so you've no, got they're all, creative they are all, offspring. They are all super creative, yeah. So yeah. Jem, my son, he's a graphic designer and illustrator, and he does all the... My cat's making such a racket. Uh, he does, uh, yeah, he does all the all my posters and he does the animation at the start of the Snack Hacker things and he films Snack Hacker as well. But oh, he films Snack I was going to ask you yeah. about who films that. Oh, it's him. Oh, how nice. So you guys yeah. get to go on sort of uh, father-son adventures. and Yeah, filming. no, it's really good fun. I mean, it's, the only thing that's tricky is he's just got really busy doing other work. So we're having to just sort of fit them all in. Because um, when, when we started, it was, it was in lockdown. He wasn't working much and I wasn't gigging at all. So uh, is that scratching noise distracting? No, I don't think it is. Oh. I can't really hear it. If it is, I'd love to put a disclaimer when I record the intro to this saying that this is due to your kitten. I'm going to try and get him just so you can see him. I do Hold want on. to see him. I'll just I'll go and grab him. Yeah, grab He's him. behind me now. Hello, podcast pedants. It's producer Mike here with another handy intervention. So at this point, George has wandered off to get the 12-week-old kitten so Callie can coo over it because, let's face it, that's the main reason she booked him. And now we return to our regularly scheduled podcast. Oh my God, that is a cute thing. I've got my earphones in. I assume you're saying, oh, he's cute or something like that. Yeah, I'm saying, oh, he's cute. (laughs) If we do end up using this bit, this is a very sweet, how would you describe him? Grey and extremely restless. Yes, a wriggly little grey. He feels exactly like, you know, those jelly cat toys. Yeah. Yeah, he just feels exactly like like a jelly cat toy. He does. He's super soft and like a beanbag. So he's three months old. Is he going to have um, his balls done? Yeah. When's that happening? I, they said they said it about a month last time I took him, which was a couple of weeks ago. So I guess in a, a cover, he's got about a fortnight left of... Uh... Oh, balls. Namaste, motherfuckers. 
in terms of when it all started out, I heard you talking to Stuart Goldsmith on Comedians Comedian about the influence that our chaos had on you. And I so loved it when I heard that conversation because I thought, God, I was on Clapham Common. We probably, whether we were there, yeah, I went and saw it. And whether we were there at the same night or not, I don't remember how long they were there, a couple of weeks probably. So you and I may well have been there at the same time. Well, I went more than once. So so did I. We've probably (laughs) met. Uh, So uh, yeah, maybe you're one of my exes, George. No, I'd remember. But um, so I think if we, anyone who doesn't know who our chaos are, or what they do do you want to describe them yeah so they sadly no longer around now but they were the most uh, just a a super anarchic french circus with a sort of real mad max feel to them um no animals uh loads of machinery cars that that would were sort of you know cut in half and designed to drive along normally and then the back half would fall off and the front half would drive off they had one car that looked like it was full of water that had kind of like a double windows full of water and it was all covered in seashells and they had chainsaws and yeah, they would juggle chainsaws. It really was dangerous. I mean, it wasn't kind of like we're pretending we're being yeah. edgy. It was like properly, you didn't know what the hell was going on. And as the audience, you didn't completely feel safe. Yeah. Indeed. I'm not sure we always were. No, we weren't. Safe. In fact, we nearly, so, so me and my friend Leo went to see them at Clapham Common and we're just blown away by them. Uh, went to see them a couple of times there. And then we went up to Edinburgh. So the only other time I've been to the Edinburgh Fringe was when I was 18, 17, 18. And we went up and we saw their show down on Leith Links, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there was a bit in the show where a car was driven into the ring and stopped and everyone got out and went off. And then the car starts by itself. Oh, yeah, as if there was no one in it. I remember. Yeah. yeah. And there was someone in the boot yeah. who was hot wiring it. Anyway, and so the night that we went... We were sat at the front uh, and there was a big tyre that had been left on the floor near us and a, and a kind of sort of bar, sort of safety barrier, nothing really uh, in front of us by this tyre. And um, anyway, and the car started and shot forward because someone had left it in gear. So the guy in the boot started it and went, oh, my God, and it started moving. And obviously he couldn't control anything no, beyond the starting no. it. And so yeah. it shot into into us, hit the the tire and the, the 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 safety bar bent and was within like centimeters of our legs and uh, anyway and so so then years later when i befriended uh, a guy called ian smith who was the ringmaster at the our chaos show not the one in clapham common but the one after mm-hmm. how did you befriend uh, him so uh, i met him when we were because he was the ringmaster at the glasgow show yep. so i met him there and then later on when i uh, was doing my degree in Brighton he um, this was after our chaos had, had all disbanded and finished and he came to our university to do some workshops with us um, because I did a degree in visual and performing arts obviously you did what else would you have done? <laughs> and uh, anyway I'd say that I met him then and befriended him and then went on to work with him after university and did uh, he had a street theatre company that I worked with and then he put on these shows at the Albany in Deptford called The Feast and The Feast 2, which is really interesting because that all ties in with what I'm doing now because that was a, a show where the, the cast cooked for the audience and fed the audience during the interval. So, it's so all... you basically just ripped off our chaos, like waited 15-year interval so that no one would... Well, this wasn't even our chaos. Oh, so this was, so was... Yeah, no, this was just Ian Smith's just show, Ian Smith. The Feast. Yeah. But anyway, yes, anyway. And so then when I met him, he and, and I... Re- recited the, the recounted rather the uh the incident where the car had, and he said oh that was just mad he said 
you know, we were we were all in such a state afterwards going, if that tire hadn't been there, we could have, you know, we could have killed those people. And he didn't even know it was it was you. It was so me. Do you think that was the closest they ever came to actually killing anybody? Because I did always used to wonder, I was like, this is so on the edge. I mean, health and safety didn't hugely feature, did it? No, <laughs> not at all. Well, that's why I love it. I mean, it's it's one of those shows that it would never happen again. No, it, it wouldn't. So, so uh, uh yeah. Just, Nowadays they put kids in high vis and a helmet to go and play in a soft play area. In those yeah. days, it was like, "Come on, kids, you might get run over by a yeah. uh, driverless car." Just bonkers and not. spraying. Like I remember at the, the, uh, one of the things that, and it's funny because I talk about this in my in my latest um, cooking show, but about the nostalgia of smell, and and there's the smell of paraffin burners. And do you remember at the at the show? At, Club and Common, there was at the start when all the audience were, were when all the, the performers were kind of walking around the ring doing little bits and bobs. Mm -hmm. There was a woman in a kind of negligee who had two cans of yes, I do. air yeah. freshener just going, yeah. that. and that smell of <laughs> paraffin heaters and, and air freshener. her it, French air freshener. Yeah. Just like bam. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Evocative smells. And was it, because um, it's funny, isn't it? And seeing Cirque du Soleil and stuff later on, because I, I don't know when Cirque du Soleil started, but I probably I didn't know. see them until about 10 years later. And I always found, even though they're incredible, I always found it slightly disappointing only because it felt so curated compared to oh, yeah. and, oh, no, no, our chaos. Yeah, no, nothing I've seen since has lived up to it. You know, yeah. and I think I've spent my whole uh, life trying to, yeah, trying to do something a bit like it. And did you end up, so So you, I know you, I think you and I gigged together about maybe three years ago, something four years ago. And as you know, I'm quite new to the scene. You're yeah. rather more established. And I've only seen you doing the sort of stuff you do now, which for anybody listening who doesn't know your stuff, and by the way, we will put links to your YouTube stuff. I was showing, I was with my son yesterday and we had a long drive from Devon to Dorset together. And I was telling him about you and he was kind of, and he was like, and who is he? And what's he like? And he's like, what age is, is he like your age? I was like, yeah, no, he is. <laughs> but anyway, I made him, we got stuck in a traffic jam. I made him watch a couple of your things and he absolutely, yeah, he absolutely loved, loved your stuff. So oh, if you can appeal to my zookeeping cynical, son who thinks anything I like must be shit and you must be very good but for anyone who isn't familiar with your stuff um and uh, who will then of course click into it on the show notes describe what it is you now do so well right right now I mean I'm doing my my live stuff but right now the kind of the main thing I'm doing so I kind of think I've, I've become as much a, a comedian, I've become a, a content creator. So doing, making stuff um, mm -hmm. chiefly for Instagram, um, where I where I cook. But the live show uh, that I that I do and sort of developed since uh, about two thousand fifteen uh, is cooking on stage. Basically, cooking on stage uh, in an unconventional way with with unconventional items, so non culinary equipment um while telling jokes that kind of sums it up so i've done three uh comedy cooking shows where in each of them i've cooked three meals or three three dishes over the hour or when it tours it's it's slightly longer with an interval um uh so the first show was 
about how to cook in a hotel room. So I was cooking with irons and trouser press and hairdryer and that kind of thing. There's a brilliant clip, which again, we'll include a link to with you doing, um, there's a clip where you do pancakes on irons, basically, don't you mate? You have pancake yeah. day in a hotel room, which I loved. And of course my son loved that being half Dutch, very impressed. So that will now go viral in the Netherlands. You're welcome. Excellent. Good. Thank yeah, you. I'll pass the word <laughs> around. And then you also do one where you cook, um, you cook tortellini. Tell us about that one. Cause that's so brilliant. That one where you do. So that was, well, that was, so this, so what's interesting, I suppose about those, so, the one you're where I do the tortellini that was that was long before I did the the live shows so and you were I, a very young dapper version of yourself George Egg I will say that in well, those photos I, 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 I think I look better now but anyway um <laughs> when I just think I've grown into, <laughs> grown into you know your face. I think you know I think I sort <laughs> of um yeah, now I've got a bigger beard and it's going grey, I think. I it, think it's, I wrote an I article for The Guardian, which they called, um, I'm hotter now than I ever was, which was a sort of pun on menopause. But but the article was actually about <laughs> the fact that I, I do feel hotter now than I ever was in terms of being attractive, not because I think I'm massively attractive, but I wasn't. when At the age when everyone was totally fuckable, I wasn't. And then years later, I sort of seemed to get a bit more attractive relative to not just my peer group, but the world at large, something shifted. So maybe we've taken a while to grow into I think so I think it's also just about confidence and I think that that you know when you get older you give less of a shit what people think and actually that's that's attractive that's a more attractive personality trait isn't it really than um than being like oh should I say this should I wear this should I and we can't see each other we can't see ourselves very well either with it I mean a friend of mine uh, who's got quite a new boyfriend she's my age she's in her 50s and she was sort of saying oh I was wondering about you know waxing and what does a guy that he's slightly he's slightly older than her this guy and she's like do you know what I realized he can't even read his fucking phone without his reading glasses so what's he going to know about what I've done <laughs> unless he's got his glasses on do what I like but going back so yes your looks aside so the tortellini thing in the hotel so when did you record that first of all How long so that? that must have been about four or five years before I started doing the the live cooking shows so I I just purely for fun when I was when I was gigging uh around the country and doing a lot of um sort of you know weekends away and staying in the same hotel for a few days I just I made a few little films of me cooking in the hotel room with the equipment just for fun put them on YouTube and that one with the tortellini got went quite viral and got a lot of hits um and in that, I just I I make some tortellini in the kettle and make some muffins. I think the I muffins muff- are the amazing. But so you actually make you you clear a sort of surface next to the sink, sort of flour it, sort it all out in in just a kind of normal crappy looking. It isn't the sort of fancy hotel room. Yeah, yeah. And you end up proofing. Is it proofing it? Yeah, proving, proving, proof, proving, proof, proving. I think proving, proving it. Yeah. In a cupboard under a spotlight on top of a Gideon Bible. Yeah, yeah. Which is all very uh, <laughs> religious <Awesome>. looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then tasted them on on the irons which because you know you cook muffins on a hot plate anyway you don't bake them in an oven you you do them in oh, do you? you're acting like yeah. I, I by the way i'm the worst Skillet. cook ever and we will come on to that like i properly okay. am not <laughs> at all good at cooking i've always managed to date people who are but that's no excuse to be so shit at it so when you say of course you do muffins on a hot plate i wouldn't have a clue <laughs> so what you did watching you do that in that hotel room i'm sure most people who see it would be like i would not have managed to do that but i mean you lost i was so far behind i was like if you put me in a proper kitchen with all the equipment i still couldn't have done it because the thing about your cooking so when I showed my son the one where you do mule frites in your is it in your workshop in your garden that one it's actually uh in Pierre Holland's workshop in his garden okay he's got a really nice 
was going to say you're doing all right for yourself workshop no no he's he's uh no the house is nice here i just don't have a workshop okay (laughs) so what looked like george egg's amazing workshop but you so in that one you you cook more fruit again using stuff that you would expect to have in a tool shed rather than yeah with a wallpaper stripper and uh, and then a hot air gun to make the chips and and it properly mm. again it looks and my son again as a dutch boy was happy to say it looks properly like more fruit so you are the, the oh, bit yeah. that it'd be easy to think, I think, when you look at what it is you do, would be to think that you might do the cooking as an add-on to the comedy, but actually you're a properly, seriously good cook, right? And that's that's the bit yeah, that's yeah. also and, really worth noting. Yeah, and really important for the live shows because the audience get to try the food at the end. And um, yeah, and I and 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 I'll I'll chat with you. I, I sell merch at the end and so talk to the talk to the audience and and they're as much saying that was funny as they are going. How, how did you make that sauce you know so do people actually want so they do actually want cookery tips from you as well people who like cooking yeah. would genuinely be watching and going that's oh yeah amazing. and it how all goes the food goes and what what i love is so i just do one i do three dishes so there's three plates of food and i've done you know quite big audiences um and how do you do that then if it's a big audience and you're do the plates just well that's what's or, or just are fascinating you like jesus is, you can just spread well, yeah it. yeah exactly that because the audience kind of police themselves so it's fascinating so you'll watch and you'll see there'll be a, a, a group of you know four people and one of them will have a little taste of one thing and another one will have a little taste of something else and then they'll talk about it and and doesn't matter what size the audience is as the last few people approach the food they're, they're kind of just having the last of it and they just seem to as a as a mass know how how to share you know, and occasionally you'll get one person who's hogging and there'll be people behind kind of going, what are you playing at? But generally it's fascinating and it is and it is quite biblical that that they just know. And I'm sure that's that's probably how the whole loaves and fishes thing was just people going, people well, there's not, not much to go around. So I'll just I'll only yeah. have a little bit. I'll and have actually, a bit of fish. You have a bit of bread, Pauline, and let me know what the what the bread was And definitely like. there'd have been at least one Pauline there. I also like <laughs> to think that had Jesus made it past 33, he would look very much as you look now. So I feel that oh, you I are. So. I think this is he um in terms of the I love the fact at the moment where we're in the this odd societal kind of shift and where it's really easy to get quite cynical about the direction the world's going and to think that people generally are turning into dickheads or mass I love the idea that what you're doing there is a kind of microcosm of everything at large that really most people would be like the sharers and the considerate people and if there was the odd asshole helping him or herself or themselves then that would be addressed and I I love it because I think it is really important at the moment and this is something that I noticed I mean I'm loving doing all the podcasts I'm doing but researching yours it just totally reconnected me to just the joy of doing something unexpected that makes your horizons get broader and keeps challenging things that you might think. And it, it definitely yeah. gave me a proper sort of energy watching your stuff and remembering oh, wow, what it is great. you do. And is so, so do you think there is, it's kind of really interesting to think that what you're throwing out into the world is something very generous. You're giving people jokes, you're giving them recipes and you're giving them actual food. And then what you're getting back seems to be equally magnanimous. Do you think there's a connection? Uh, how do you mean connection like a sort of like oh i don't know if we should go well karmic i know it's called but yeah sort of like i sometimes think if you go into a situation where you go into it with your kind of 
I guess it's like what we do with the comedy, right? We're, t- we're touring around, we go to really weird places. You turn up somewhere and a bit of you sometimes thinks, what the fuck am I doing? This is like, why did mm. I drive five hours to get to this weird fishing village and no one's going to come and see me apart from a, you know, amputated sort of swan. And then something amazing will happen. And if you go into it thinking my eyes are just wide open to possibility um, and to the fact that I'm going to meet interesting people or interesting stories will happen. I just think that the world throws you back something quite interesting. And yeah. I'm wondering if oh, your no, whole definitely. demeanor has has that effect on your audience in a way. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, I've i started doing a lot of rural touring in the last uh, couple of years, which is, um, do, you know, do you know the rural tour- touring circuit? So it's... You told me about that when we were talking in Edinburgh. So t- tell listeners about yeah, it, because so I absolutely loved what you said about this. Um, so it's, yeah, sort of Arts Council funded. Uh, there's, you know, there's lots of remote places where there'll be a village hall um, and they can't afford to get, you know, expensive shows. Uh, so there, there'll be a rural touring body that will that will help with the, the performers' fees. Um, and so you can, you know, you don't charge a big fee. And then I think the the touring body pays half your fee and then the, the village hall pays the other half. But there's no tech and there's no, um, there's no other acts at all. So it's literally I'll turn up and have to do a, an evening show. So it'll be two 40 minutes with an interval. Um, but I'll do it. I'll have, you know, plug sockets, but I won't have any mics and I won't have any lights or anything. Mm-hmm. So it's all done acoustically. But uh, the audience can is comprised of pretty much everyone who who lives there mm-hmm. so i'll get you know from children up to elderly people uh, well i don't really adjust the show because it's not there's nothing sort of inappropriate in the show at all there's a bit of swearing but it kind of comes at the end after everyone's accepted me so it's yeah. so it's so it's all fine Flipping there's nothing the gratuitous yeah yeah and is that just Blue the, Peter, though? Is it what you're modelling for children in terms of his? Oh no! So do. it's all really yeah. So it's got so it's got that kind of I hope a sort it is of quite more, anarchic still. You're, yeah, you're yeah. channeling oh, the archaos vibe. Quite yeah. Well, oh, so. so much so, and yeah. and and I think people really appreciate that. And and I'll get little old ladies coming up going, "Oh, it was just that was brilliant. It was it was crazy." And and it's just lovely going to these these far flung places where you just you wouldn't normally end up. And, and who do you stay with? A... So do you because I know some of your snack hacker stuff you're filming in advance. So you do have a van that is sleepable in. Yeah, although I don't stay in that because I have too many props. So the props would fill the van up completely. Okay. So some some of the rural touring ones they'll accommodate you as well. So that's been fascinating. So you stay in what in... someone's house in the village. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your weirdest one you've stayed in? Um, none of them have been weird. I mean, some of them have just been just magical so so not particularly i mean i did one uh up in aberdeenshire and yeah and it was just this really it was right on the coast it was november and so it was really cold and blowy and and i did the show and then afterwards i was i wasn't staying with anyone i was staying in a travel lodge up the road and i was going to leave and just it was the most scottish thing anyone's ever said but the woman who was running it with her husband just said will you know stay and have some cullen skink with us so I said, oh, all right, then. You and we just sat. say no. No. And it was lovely. We just sat around a little camping table in this village hall um, and she put a cloth on it and everything. And we all had bowls of cullen skink with a glass of red wine. And then I left and stayed in the travel lodge. And then the next day was in some other one. And I did one on Sky and stayed in the, the house of the people who owned that. And that was just lovely. And it was just this elderly couple. And we, we sat up and had a venison stew that she'd made and then plum crumble. 
You'll go a long way for free lunch, won't you, George Egg? That's I know. what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like free food. It's good, isn't it? It's really good. But <laughs> it's the just thing, so lovely. It's so lovely when your world gets um it, one of the things I noticed getting into stand-up, you know, in my 40s was how I mean, even though you know I had an interesting career beforehand, but but in a much less kind of lateral, unexpected way. And I just love the fact that our worlds just keep getting bigger and less and sort of more unexpected and mm. I don't know about you, but I'm not really finding getting older limiting. I sort of feel it's a little bit the opposite. And, and we, were, oh, we we started totally. talking a bit about that because I definitely have felt it's not just that we have more bandwidth in terms of time once our kids leave. But there's also just something quite I, I, it's, it's really it sounds, it makes me like a right wanker to say it. But there's something quite freeing I'm finding in terms of who I actually am allowed to be and yeah. and what I'm allowed to say and. The idea, you know, I'll decide what's appropriate for me, thanks. You know, it's not that I'm trying to say my, my story is redemptive or I've got my shit together. I certainly have not. But there's something really lovely about having had these years where obviously we weren't just parents. We did lots of other things, but they're very much a kind of mainstay of who you are. And then suddenly you've got just creative free reign. What impacts that having on you at this stage in, in your life? Well, that's that's like completely the answer to so the, the questions that you you sent me and said you know i'll ask you the the... question then i'll say george egg okay what would you describe as your namaste motherfucking moment well it 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 it, it's kind of a period in my life um and it and it was my kids growing up and so i think that because i think what i did i've always been sort of destined to do performing stuff so when i was uh in my early teens i did magic shows and used to charge to do magic shows at children's parties and um and then you were charging only... kids just a bit younger than you to watch you do magic well charging their parents yeah charging their parents what yeah. a hustler very good <laughs> well i'd do an hour show for about 30 quid or something like that yeah balloon modeling no just magic just magic there was one that was just so sweet so usually it would be a party of you know sort of 10 to 20 kids i was 15 i think 14 15 and then one one uh, uh, booking, I turned up to the house, and uh, and the mum said, "Oh, if you go and set up in the living room, and 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 I had various tri- I have different volunteers for lots of tricks, and um, and I sat up in the living room, and then she came in and said, "Oh, you're nearly ready." And I said, "Yeah." I said, "What time are the are the kids all arriving?" And she said, "Oh no, it's just for us, and it was just for her and her son and his sister, and it was just so sweet, and it was his birthday treat, and they they." you know couldn't afford to actually host the party as well so it was just a mum and two kids and I did the whole hour magic show and just had to have you know sort of rotating the three of them as volunteers what great training for Edinburgh three yes. people you know, <laughs> watching a show you've taken six months to perfect and is it so you started doing that so you were doing yeah, magic so, so I was doing that and then I was in a youth theatre and then I saw our chaos and started doing street performing and and so in my kind of and then started doing stand-up off the back of that and I was really creative then. Um, and then me and my wife uh, started having kids. And for, I guess, kind of 15, 16 years, I just, I was happy performing and I was busy and, and you know, and it was, it was my uh, full-time job. But I just wasn't being creative with it at all. I had a show that sort of serviced itself and, and it was the kind of the period of, of, stand up when it was very easy to you know do the same thing over and over again and 
and quite well, you know, doing a lot of jonglers and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, and then I think it was basically the, 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 the sort of moment was, was when I realized that I, uh, that my kids were, didn't need me in the same way anymore. Um, and that's when both me and my wife kind of changed direction and, and, and I started doing the, the live cooking shows and she started doing her artwork and decided, right, I'm not going to be a hairdresser anymore. I'm doing this full time. When I look back on it, I, th- I think I basically just spent those 15 years that create, you know, I still had that creative urge, but I guess I was just putting that into parenting and, you know, build it. I deal, you know, all the, the house that we're in, I kind of built that from the inside rebuilt it all and and, and reshaped the it and building it brick by brick at the moment and the kitten is yes right now so it was out there and he was actually a little kango but, and is um, it but it's really interesting you say that because when you think about what your kids have done you literally put your creativity into your kids because all three of them have come out doing incredibly creative things and i i think to have three children who all will know what they want to do i mean i i just look at, i'm so pleased that my son wanted to be a zookeeper from when he was yeah. tiny and is one. And I mean, it pay, the pay is appalling and he's he's going to you know struggle financially, uh, I would say, because of it. But I just think what an amazing thing to have that. And it sounds like all three of yours. So somehow that energy that you and your wife had did sort of successfully then create yeah. these oh, yeah. and I think so it was, and it was do that. Oh, no, and it was great. And it was, and I was, you know, happy not being creative with my show. So when you say not creative, do you mean not, because I guess anyone listening who isn't a comedian, we have lots of comedians who listen, but um, in terms of how much we create new material, someone said to me last night, I did a a gig at a bingo hall in Poole, because that's how well my career's going. And I had dinner with my cousin and a mate of hers beforehand. And her mate was like going, oh, so how does it work? She was like, I was, she likes bingo, this mate of my cousin. Yeah. So I was asking her a few questions. She's like, so are you going to do like 20 minutes about bingo now? Because we've had this conversation. I was thinking, I wish I was capable. I'm not Ross Noble. I yeah. can't come up with an idea and just riff off it brilliantly. Mm. So I don't know if people realise how long it takes to get a tight 20 and then how tempting it is when it's going quite well to go, do you know what? This is bulletproof. I'm not going to change it. So did you go for your bulletproof? kind of 20 minutes yeah yeah I basically time. yeah yeah got got a show that that yeah exactly that it was just cast iron and and didn't change it at all or barely changed it at all and how um, did that sit with someone like you because I think of you as as a real kind of ideas person that like you seem to be somebody who is constantly coming up with something that no one else is doing so how, how did that sit with you when you were really I guess focused on each performance being different rather than the content being different um I think at the time I just I treated it just like a job right. rather than than a creative pursuit. So it was literally, yeah, I'd, I'd go and do those. I'd come back and I'd think about right, what, how, where, where should I put some shelves up? What, what, you know, what, what we're we going to do today with the kids, kind of thing. Um, and it wasn't. And did you get what, jaded then? Did, did was there a risk you were going to get sick of doing it if you weren't really feeling creatively fulfilled by it at that point? I don't know. I think it's weird. So so now that I've been creating these these you know solo shows and I'm I'm feeling bored of the one that I'm doing at the moment and this um, is one that was that was rescheduled from so would it, this is the one that you and I were together in Edinburgh when yeah, you were doing right? yeah in 2019 and then and that's it was movable feast to, yeah which so, is now tour, we'll put links to this but this is now touring right movable yeah feast, yeah so I've yeah. got I've got about another 30 odd dates of that yeah um but um but yes so now so now I'm feeling a bit kind of not bored of doing that show but you know ready to to work out what 
what the next show is going to be. And I think it's because because that's where all my creative eggs are. You know, yeah. I think the thing is, is that when I was when I wasn't being creative with my show, I just my creative eggs were elsewhere. They were in they were in the family. So you and always needed I, to be laying creative eggs somewhere or another. I suppose so, but but not consciously, you know, and it wasn't until I just kind of was happy doing the show and just was doing stuff at home. But it wasn't, I wasn't consciously thinking, oh, I'm being creative at home. It was it was only after my kids grew up and then I started doing the, the cooking shows that I then looked back and kind of went, oh, well, that's obviously, you know, that's absolutely the turning point. That's when nikki my wife started doing her art and that's you know that's when i started making videos and then doing the live show and and since then just been sort of constantly um thinking about how to develop it and and take it in other directions and you know and 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 then in lockdown doing the the instagram stuff as well and it's the um so you you had a couple of decades in the on the circuit before you did your first Edinburgh then, which is a really yeah. unusual trajectory, right? And 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 then you pretty much went in to it with with sellout shows, right? It didn't seem to be that you had a bumpy yeah. start in Edinburgh. No, so it something was really... you were doing appealed. Yeah. I mean I think it wasn't a plan. I mean it was just luck really, I suppose, because I'd well I think for years, well first of all I just was I just had 20 minutes and I just felt like I'd I felt like I had 20 minutes and whenever I got a, a gig through that said it was 30 minutes, I'd start kind of going, oh, God, I've got to do that 10 minutes that I'm not that proud of. I've got to make the mime you know? at the beginning last 12 minutes. <laughs> yeah, 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 sort of eight-minute coughing fit. <laughs> so I think it was just kind of luck, really. And 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 it was that those decades of practice meant I had the stagecraft. And I think for, for a long time when I was doing the circuit, I, I shunned the idea of doing Edinburgh because I just thought, well, I haven't got anything interesting enough to, you know, I've got some that's entertaining for 20 minutes or 30 minutes if it has to be but I haven't got anything that's interesting enough for an hour and then when I did the first little short cooking thing I just well it was actually someone someone came up to me someone from Brighton Fringe I'd done because I did a 10 minute spot of doing the hotel room cooking thing at one of Robin Ince's Christmas shows oh yeah I love and Brighton Fringe I think it's I think it just puts the joy into what doing a fringe is I always do so much better at Brighton than any oh it's great it's so it? nice now yeah. it's really um it's really blossomed in the last kind of five, six years. Yeah, it's brilliant. But um, but uh, a woman called uh, Nikki, who runs the other place uh, venues in Brighton, just came up to me and said, "You know, why don't you do a solo show of it?" And then I just thought, "Yeah, maybe I should." And I was and I was having a bit of a, I think I had a bit of a not a midlife crisis, but I think I just, I, I definitely when I was when my kids were starting to get, you know, too old to be a parent in the same way. That I did have this weird uh, time in my life when I just felt, you know, redundant and and sort of like a bit. What's the point? The outcome of that was was going. Well, the point is I'm a creative person, and and so started doing the. So I think anyway, what I'm, this is a bit of a long answer to the, but I think that it was having an idea that was different, that was interesting, that I that I felt genuinely felt like actually I'd I'd watch an hour of this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and having the just the the two decades of, of stagecraft practice 
Um, There's something about that limbo period. I'm always really interested in it in terms of writing, you know, when I try and write and I sit down and I really try and like put words on the page and it's all a bit shit. And then I go do something else and then it all comes to me and I come back and then then the, the good bit always happens way after the bit where I was trying to do something yeah. good. And I do think it's kind of in a way you had a two decade long sort of liminal period in terms of your output on stage. Yeah, that probably did directly link to you being then able to come out the gates with something that was a sellout show and everyone couldn't wait to see yeah oh well no and i think so. and, I, and i think even right down to the fact that 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 when i wasn't being creative with my show i i did a couple of uh you know sort of cookery course things where i learned how to how to fillet a fish properly and i went on a cheese making day and actually one of the cheeses that i learned to make ended up in the first show with me making making cheese on stage and yeah and just all those little things that you don't realize are feeding into your sort of bank of stuff that then that then you can sort of tap into um, and how do you so the ideas and again it's we, we will put links to your stuff because it's so it's we can't really do it justice by describing it you actually really do need to see it to get it but in terms of the ideas you have so they they're not in your case it's not like you know as a stand-up who's all about words that you, know, you come up with an idea you try it say it a few times and bugger about and it'll become a joke at some mm. point in your case, you've got the concept, you've got the kind of, and then you've got, I presume, the kind of bit where you're just physically try. Is can I build a thing that's going to do this? And is it even possible to get that into a tent without setting fire to it? Is yeah. there a whole other layer of like logistical nightmares you've got to go through? Yeah, so there really have been. So with the so with the first show, it kind of it was actually quite. I mean, there were still loads of things. I had a trouser press and an ironing board, and you know, and, and a, a mini bar fridge. There aren't enough trouser presses in shows. I always there think, aren't. So well, it was really God funny. For I was, you. When I was doing um, uh, uh, my Hunt Comedy Festival, and I was camping, and I was getting the trouser press out of the back of the car to get the tent out, and Michael Legg walked past <laughs> and just said, "Just the essentials." <laughs> 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 but. Uh, um, but yeah, certainly. So then the later shows, so the second one, which was cooking with power tools, that was a, a bigger deal and a bigger set. Um, and then the, the current one is ridiculous. My car is completely full. There's not even enough room for a passenger. Uh, and do you ever passenger. have, have you, because you're so, and again, saying you're a sort of prop comedian makes it sound like you're sort of down the end of the pier, not that there'd be anything wrong mm. if you were, but you, I mean, I guess you are, that's essentially, you know, you, you, there's, there's an element of being. Yeah. Like, yeah. Know, and my yeah. normal stand up has always been, I've always had props. Yeah. Had loads and of what's stuff. the work? So presumably then if you forget, um, I mean, I went, I've had gone as far as having a flip chart and I used to forget that or break it or lose the key bits of it quite often. Um, so that was a sort of basic level of prop failure. So what have there been times when you've forgotten a prop or, or a prop has not worked? Uh, I don't think I've ever forgotten anything. I mean, like one or two ingredients I might have forgotten, but then I've just worked around it. No cumin, but we'll survive. Yeah, well, exactly. Like gone gone to do the bit of the garlic and gone I forgot to get a bulb of garlic so just... if anyone complains in the audience as you're giving them beautifully prepared fingers oh it could do with a little bit more salt and peppy don't to fuck yeah, yeah. off <laughs> so you've forgotten some ingredients but you've never had something where you're like oh shit I've had, I haven't no I've had uh, I've had um uh the tools not work so the the wallpaper stripper hasn't worked once it didn't maybe the fuse had gone or something like that so I couldn't so I just kind of I just kind of had to explain what would have happened 
Um, People kind of like the screw ups, though, right? I think within yeah, reason, yeah. the whole show I think was a so, Yeah, if, if everything had gone wrong, that would be that you know that would be disastrous. But I think the fact that because there's so many different things, if one thing goes wrong, it's like oh, that hasn't worked. But you know, and then just put more focus on something Keeps else. It authentic. But, They're like this yeah. is not one I made earlier. This is definitely really happening. In um, the first Edinburgh show when I did that, where I do the pancakes uh, on the irons, I uh, I dropped. I only had one egg ever since then i've always made sure i've got backup what eggs, a rookie but... error and even your name george what a thing and I to dropped... run out of anyway so i dropped on the floor and the egg was all over the floor and i said well i'm gonna make these pancakes still so i said look i'm gonna scoop this off the floor so for heaven's sake don't eat the pancakes afterwards you know you've all seen what's happened here so i made the pancakes and then the food got carried out and then my the guy who was helping me bought back all the plates Everything Everyone gone. had eaten it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. gone. Now nah, we'll eat it anyway. <laughs> I think those are the people who won't have got COVID because I think if you've got a strong enough immune yeah, system, my absolutely. son's hygiene was always a bit lacking in terms of eating almost literally crap off the floor, and he's got the most brilliant uh, immune system. So he probably helped yeah. all those people. That far, so there's a classic thing, isn't there, that people think that comedians. We often get into comedy because perhaps we haven't had the easiest paper round and perhaps we didn't quite belong anywhere else. I certainly have never felt I belong more than I do now that I'm doing something where everyone's a bit of an outlier rather than trying to Mm. pretend I belonged in a more of a mainstream life. And but what you have managed to do, I think so many comedians do have slightly fucked up personal lives and, and, you know, bouts of depression and not that having bouts of depression mean you can't have a lovely relationship or anything. But you do seem to have. So you have got you've had a long standing uh, relationship. You know, I know you a little bit personally. I know it's really a lovely relationship. You've got three kids who are doing great. So how have you managed to do that? alongside is it is it connected with the fact you've both been able to mold your work around your lives rather than the other way around or what, what's the trick to the balance that you um, guys have somehow achieved I think well I suppose because neither of us have ever had uh, a nine to five it's meant that what we do can fit around what the other person does so when mm-hmm. we had little kids and I'd be working away for a weekend and Nikki would be doing hairdressers because she was a mobile hairdresser so she wasn't mm-hmm. so she'd go to people's houses or they'd come to ours um is that what happened to your hair did you have lovely long hair and she's like do you know what i'm going to sort this out for you george she did shave my head but that was when i was uh, when you needed it 20 i think yeah i was 20 um but uh, it, i was it was thinning so i just uh, <laughs> i went for it she shaved my head before i went to glastonbury for the first time and um and i put sun lotion all over my head because it was really really hot hot one unusually for Glastonbury yeah and she said make sure you put sun lotion on so I put it all over my head but didn't put any on my ears because I just didn't think so I got really burnt ears because they were normally covered up by my hair but yeah she she trims she trims my beard she does and so many (laughs) ways to go with that but I won't so you've got um so so the two of you so you were able to kind of have a life that I guess it was sounds like it was properly there wasn't a kind of primary carer then, right? Everybody was just working around everybody else and just doing yeah, whatever yeah, needed I mean, to be yeah, done we just, yeah, to get yeah. the job done. Yeah, it just didn't, we never, we never had a plan. We just, yeah, just kind of pottered along and she did her stuff when she could. And, you know, if I had gigs, she'd be focusing on the, the kids. And if I didn't, I'd be focusing on the kids and she'd be doing the hairdressing. But um and now you've actually both got that thing that people have when their kids go and they're looking at each other going, who are we? What are we doing? It sounds like you're both kind of still a relatively, you're just a few years into both having reinvented and really sort of finding your, your chops in yeah. terms of no, your creative really, stuff. So Yeah, it's really worked. Cause I think with, I think I looked at my parents 
as an example well my dad of how how not to do it because he he was a brilliant dad and he really totally threw himself into into being a parent but when we left home he didn't find anything creative to do and he was a, he was very creative before we were born he was uh, uh he, he directed and performed in plays and uh and and did loads of really amazing photography and that sort of thing and then when we came along obviously threw himself into that but then never found it again and um you and lost your, was mom. it your dad you lost during the pandemic yeah yeah yeah, yeah he dad? died yeah, remember, last, yeah just just under a year ago and um and then my mum died the year before that yeah so but, you've gone um, through does that and has that do you think I know obviously you'd already decided to kind of push yourself forward or it just sounds like you didn't need to push yourself you just felt drawn forward creatively but losing both your parents in quick succession that's a bit of a leveler as well isn't it in terms of giving yourself permission to just do what you fucking want to do because you realize that the yeah, condition yeah, I is terminal I, mean, I think certainly in in some cases I mean I think they were always so incredibly supportive of what I did. And they, although my mum worried that I have never had a job that's got any kind of security, um, she was still really proud and really liked telling her friends that her son juggled or did fire eating or, you know, started doing the cooking shows and all that sort of thing, as was my dad. But I think that, uh, so it didn't feel like them dying was like, now I can do it because like you say, I was already doing it. But certainly, you know, seeing how, how they dealt with life after kids and my mum who threw herself into being very creative and doing a lot of textile stuff as opposed to my dad who really didn't do much at all and I think um I just think that was a real shame because uh there is life after kids you know Oh, there definitely is. It's funny, I haven't made the link that my dad, um, he's always done um, lots of things outside of his, he, he's a te- he was a teacher, but he'd always been um, done music. He plays timpani and he sings. And then he, at a similar age to when I got into stand-up, he started um, kind of winding down with his uh, deputy headmastership and, and doing more and more other things. And he still does do them. He's in his late 70s now. And I, it sort of took me ages to realise. I mean, you realise you have a lot to thank both your parents for. But I did realise, gosh, I've sort of followed his footsteps a bit. And he has that massive curiosity about the world still at his age, which keeps him really young. And I just think that's, that's something so lovely to sort of see in your orbit. I know you'll be listening, Dad, so you're welcome. Um, and, and hello, you- <laughs> uh, Dad. I've met I've met your dad. Oh, yeah, you met my yeah. dad. Yeah, yeah he came to see my show. <laughs> Oh, he did. Yeah, well, I was telling him that's why he was excited when I said I was, I was like explaining who you were. He was probably thinking, yeah, all right, Kelly, menno brain. Uh, that's right. You have met my dad. Well, he'll definitely be listening to this. Um, and I've got, I've, you've already answered the namaste motherfucking moment because it's kind of the heart of you really and where, the way mm. your life's going, which is very good guest booking for the podcast. But um, one extra question before I ask the other two that I ask everybody. So as somebody, I always at the end of the podcast, as you may know, if you've listened to them, I always pick a thing I'm going to do or try inspired by the, my guest. And yeah. in your case, it definitely needs to be trying to cook something. So just to put into context, my cooking, I'm, I'm competent enough that I could do something really basic, not creatively and not very well, but I could feed people, but it would not be at all exciting. Yeah. And I don't really ever derive much pleasure from cooking. And I would love to start to, because I, it is a creative thing. I'd love to like it. So ben, what should uh, I do? Well, what I'm doing now is, is just the perfect thing for for someone like you because Mm -hmm. so the snack hacker films that i'm doing on instagram uh which i started doing uh in november last year and which have just ballooned like crazy i don't never look at greg's pasty the same again well exactly so it's got so it's 
and I think it's a really I ah oh, I just feel so passionate about it because I feel like so much sort of cookery on TV is aimed at people who are already into cooking, and the whole point of this the snack hacker films is it's it's aimed at people who aren't into cooking or mm-hmm. people who who want to be creative but they're too busy or they or they're too used to having you know microwave meals and takeaways and that sort of thing and it's showing that with just a tiny bit of uh, uh creativity and a, a tiny addition or combining two two different mm-hmm. things together that you can create something that's so much more than the sum of its parts so i would just say watch a load of those and and, and just, just pick, pick one. one that looks because it's it can be as simple as putting so i did i did um, i liked your mackenzie crook one what was in that one you did a sandwich that looked it sounded horrible um and then it actually cheese with peas yeah and hp sauce and right. a bit of, yeah and then i put mushy peas in as well because the peas were rolling away and was that nice <laughs> did it was it so actually good. T- yeah it did yeah. look good oh i my could God. do that one honestly maybe. they're yeah. just the, the 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 passion of when i'm tasting them and gushing about the food is it's is real. totally genuine oh yeah okay well and i'm going to pick really a snack that. hacker that i will do maybe that one or maybe something else and i will put a link to the other ones in the show notes because i do love the idea i think you get to a point where you know what you don't know and i'm now so intimidated that most people my age most of my mates my age are properly decent cooks yeah and can really do something impressive and it's kind of i know it's never too late but a bit of me when i say i can't cook and people i'm sure you can cook it's like i really it's very formulaic and what i do you I like what's your what's your favorite sort of food to eat well this is the trouble george i've got the taste buds of an 11 year old so i i would quite happily just eat like cereal and uh with a bit, bit banana cut up on the top or some granola or something i'm a very un i'm, I'm not sweet very, stuff generally then more eat, well carbies yeah carbs i guess or right. really i do love a really lovely salad this again is going to make me sound like a right twat but when i used to travel to the states a lot and would spend a lot of time in la for work and I used to just love the fact that, it, it, you know, this is going back 20, 30 years, that their sal- if you ordered a salad, you know, you could have whatever you wanted done. And I thought, wow, this is not what we think of in the UK as I'm going to just yeah. have a salad. And I remember thinking if this was the world I was in, I would just love to eat. So, so I do love, like, I love really healthy kind of vegetably based stuff, but it just seems like a right ass to prepare it. Yes. And you need lots of things. I so that's what's nice about the Snack Hacker films is that most of them, you'll just need a couple of things. And then yeah. you go and get something takeaway and convert it with a couple of things that will transform it. I was experimenting um, a couple of days ago and I tried getting, uh, I got a Greg's chicken slice yeah. and put some preserved lemon slices and green olives in. Oh my God. Was it? That sounds disgusting, so, but that was nice, no. was it? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, lemon with chicken is really good. And yeah, preserved yeah. lemons are lovely. You know, the, the, the tiny little preserved lemons that you get in sort of world food shops, they come yeah. in a jar and then and they're quite salty they're, i'm saying yes i've got and, no idea what you're talking about because this sounds like a sophisticated oh, ingredient kind of like sort of something you'd have in a tagine or some sort of sort of i'm North always African making a tagine i might whip dish. one up tonight before i go and do a double up at angel comedy George. that's how i normally do things <laughs> well, anyway that, that was nice <laughs> yeah well, that, but those no i do like that and actually i think one of the things when you haven't cooked for so long is you don't have a sense of what the kind of alchemy of the different types of food would be mm-hmm. and so actually it's a really nice way in to go yeah. no actually that with that and then i suppose i might start to understand what might then just uh, like free flowing be a nice thing to try to do in the kitchen yeah that well, I, get, beans on I, toast. I, I get so many messages on instagram from people who watch them who say i'm i'm not into cooking but this is brilliant i love it or in fact i've it's had perfect for freshers week isn't it hopefully because yeah. this will be going out just after everyone's gone off to uni and this is like they could be living off a different snack hacker every day oh so much so 
and I've had the last couple of live shows I've done. I've had I, had, I did a show in Exeter, and this woman came up to me afterwards and said, "The snack egg films has been brilliant." She said, "I've got kids." She said, "And they're all eating things that they wouldn't have eaten before from How watching brilliant. the videos." Yeah, maybe me and my son will try this way because he's not the most adventurous eater. I think also because of the autism, he's got the classic. Um, thing that goes with it so I think it's called is it Arfid where you only like certain foods and it really is a proper sensory thing yeah so he's been quite unexperimental in his eating um, and I've possibly kind of also that's facilitated my not being very experimental so maybe he and I can remotely try a bit of snack hacking um, meanwhile my daughter's in Madrid and is a brilliant cook and loves cooking so she doesn't need my help what is your favorite joke my favorite joke at the moment is uh I mean, I don't really, I've got a few, I haven't really got jokes in my show. It's more just a sort of general comedic Dirge and people bon get through homie. it. And yeah. Like, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're all inspecting their nails, that's something. Um, and so it's more sort of, um, I, I'm more into just silliness. And Namaste, one of uh, the people who inspires me more than anyone else is Gennaro Contaldo, who is mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the chef who, who mentored Jamie Oliver. Yes, we'll put a um, link to some something connected, yes. And he's just so, he's he is just, what I love about him is he's not a comedian, but he is, he's a natural clown. And Should really be, I mean, so really funny. funny, yeah. Yeah, he's so great. Yeah. Anyway, and so I interviewed him for the food programme. I presented a, a episode of that. In fact, do you remember when we were in Edinburgh and I was chatting with the producer of that and you walked past and said, and then she went, was that Callie Beaton? And I told you afterwards and you were like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, that was really nice. Didn't get me on the telly, but it was a nice moment. It wasn't. And I do have some regret that I'm no longer in a position where I can have any input on commissioning TV programmes. Because had I known you then, I would have fought extremely hard for you to be doing something on screen. But yeah, I remember you were talking to her. Yeah. But um, anyway, and so part for, for that program, I interviewed him and um, and he told me a joke that I just really enjoyed. So, and I, I won't attempt his accent, but it's, you've got don't, to imagine. Because that might go straight into stuff we have to edit <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah. So please don't. <laughs> you've got to imagine an Italian man I'm imagining. Tell, telling this. And he was so sweet because he was going, it's a, it's, it's a bit rude. I don't know if I can tell you, <laughs> if you can put it on the radio. It was not rude at all. But he said there's there's this guy called uh, Giuseppe and his his wife Maria is a real tyrant. And so one day he's, he goes out to buy snails and Gennaro said to me, he said, because in, in Italy, you go to the grocers to buy snails. That's that's normal. And he said, you need to know that for mm-hmm. the joke. I said, OK. So he said, so Giuseppe goes out and he, he bumps into his friend who says, oh, come around my house. We've got all these girls coming around and, you know, we're going to have a party. And he says, I can't, I can't. Maria's waiting for me. I've got to go out. He goes, just come around for one drink. So, so he's, OK. So he goes around there. He says, and then sort of like about four hours have passed and he's all had loads to drink and been with all these girls and, and, uh, and he goes, I've got, I've got to go, I've got to go. So he, says, he rushes to uh, to the shop, gets the snails. He's got his box of snails and he's walking home and he gets to the bottom of the hill and sees at the top of the hill, sees uh, Maria, Maria, is that what I said, his yeah. wife's name, uh, with her arms folded or, or crossed like that. And she starts walking down the hill. And so he said, so he just throws the snails on the floor as she, as she approaches. And he goes, come on, come on, nearly home, nearly home. <laughs> And if you could give one bit of life advice to anybody listening, George, what would it be? It would be that everyone's nice, that everyone's all right kind of thing. There's a bit at the end of one of the chapters of uh, Winnie the Pooh when Pooh and Piglet are walking home and it's after Tigger has come to the forest and he's 
he's just he's all a bit much you know and he and he's stressing them all out and then they try and get him lost in the top of the floor i don't know how familiar you are with winnie the pooh but very anyway. familiar and uh anyway and then and and pooh and piglet are walking home and piglet says to pooh tigger's all right really isn't he and pooh says everyone's all right really and i think that sort of having that kind of mindset that you know everyone's everyone's kind of nice really is is a good uh, approach <laughs> was the wonderful George Egg. Every episode, I pick a thing inspired by my guest that I am going to try. And this week, spoiler alert, you know what it is. It's some Cali snack hacking, starting with Mackenzie Crook's cheddar, pea and HP sauce toasty. There's a link to that and all the other snack hacking delights in the show notes, as well as some of the brilliant other things that George is and has been up to. Do check it out. You do actually need to see George in action to get the full magic of the man. So that's it for this week's podcast will be back in your feed next monday as always when i'll be talking to apprentice star and pillow entrepreneur not to be confused with my pillow guy thomas skinner in show business not the main drop that's one thing you shouldn't do is main drop robert De Niro time with that namaste motherfuckers was written and presented by me callie beaton and produced by mike hansen and karusha dami for pod people productions with music by jake yap I'm Callie Beaton. Until next time, motherfuckers. Namaste, motherfuckers. Pod people. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.